Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday, talking some USC Trojan football. We got Keely Yor in studio, Dan Weber on the line. Lots to get to today. We had a really fun event, an inside USC football live event at the lab last night. We put the podcast up uh, early Wednesday morning, so you can uh, check that out if you haven't yet. It had We had... Uh, John Baxter, USC special teams coach on the show, Matt Barkley, former quarterback, and of course, Jake Olson. It was his company, Engage, and I, I was the MC slash moderator, whatever, for that event. So it was fun. We'll talk about that a little bit. Dan wrote a, a column as well on uscfootball.com. And we want to talk about some of the news and notes around the USC football program. Player run practices are continuing on, even though we can't see everything that's going on. But, you know, we had, we had a couple... We had some spies out there yesterday, so we'll talk about that a little bit. Answer some of your questions. If you have any questions or comments, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. Or if you'd rather call us or text us, we have a voicemail to play for you today. Got a text. uh, 424-254-9141 is the number. We do appreciate you writing in, calling in, texting in, and, of course, leaving uh, some positive feedback, five-star reviews. Those are always awesome uh, tell a friend, you know, share share the podcast. You know another friend out there that loves USC football. They're thinking about renewing their season tickets or whatever. Like, you know what? Listen to the Peristyle podcast. Uh, I think you'll like it. So we do appreciate that when you share it with your friends. Help grow the show. It's been growing for the last 12 years, and we want to keep uh, keep on doing that. And part of the reason we're growing because we got people like Keely on the show. Follow her on Twitter at Keely is my name. What's up, Keely? Hello, hello. Glad to be back on the podcast. Glad to have you in studio, and uh, yeah, it's, hopefully you're feeling good. And then we got Dan Weber. I know he's feeling good. We we got to we got to fire him up a little bit before the show. Hello, Dan. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Very enjoyable. Uh, again, lots of stuff going on. There's almost no weeks off uh, when it's USC football. Yeah, there's there's almost no weeks off. We're we're gonna talk about uh, there was a new uh, another NCAA head scratcher kind of ruling. That came out today. We're going to get to that. But I wanted to um, talk about the event last night a little bit. Uh, it was really fun. Um, this is So if you don't know, go to letsengage.com. That's uh, Jake's company. He's the president. Uh, they founded it, I think, last year sometimes. And um, it's basically a way that you can kind of book talent. So sort of if you if you watch like the fire Festival kind of thing, it was sort of like that. But this actually works. And you can, uh, you know, if, if there's a lot of talent on there. Uh, Jessica Mendoza, you know, or Matt Barkley or Terrell Thomas or Jake Olson, um, a lot, lot of people on there. I mean, Jeremy Roenick, you, you like hockey, um, talented people. And if you want them to like do a video for you or come to an event, you could go play a round of golf with Jake. You know, he, he's blind. It's a, a pretty fun experience as I talked about before. Um, you can do all that through their website and you can, uh, you know, you basically, these, you can hire these people for different kind of things and so they did a an event last night at the lab and uh i just i was just there to kind of like direct traffic a little bit with baxter and uh matt barkley and jake olson i think it was a lot of fun everyone i talked to afterwards 
uh, really enjoyed it. And Dan, it was fun. I, I liked reading your column about it, Dan, just because like you're up there talking and sometimes you don't remember everything that everyone's saying. You're like, oh yeah, I forgot Matt Barkley talked about that or whatever. But I, it was really insightful for me, even you know having been there and been part of it, just to read what you had to write about it because it was it kind of like oh, maybe remember some of the stuff that was going on. Yeah, there was a lot. I mean, some of the things we hadn't heard. Uh, it was just good to hear Matt kind of recreate that scene at, at Ohio Stadium with 106,000 uh, and the fact that that was the loudest you know crowd he'd ever been a part of, still the loudest crowd he'd ever been a part of, and and what, what that felt like silencing him. And, and, and just one of those great memories if you're uh, you know, a member of the you know, Trojan football family. You just... Uh, and if you were lucky enough to be there, it's, uh, you know, one of those unforgettable moments. And, and remembering, you know, uh, Joe McKnight, and the, you know, the late Joe McKnight, his part part in it. And it was, it was just great to hear, uh, you know, Matt, uh, you know, talk about things like that. And, and Coach Baxter, I thought um, he likes to go back to that 2013 season when, uh, you know, they fired, uh, fired Lane after the Arizona State game and Ed Orgeron took over and then, you know, kind of made the wrong decision on who was going to succeed and ed took off uh when they hired sark and then uh clay took over for the bowl game in las vegas and and how that you know coaching staff you know could have gone to the four wins and just tried to take care of themselves and tried to line up their next job and and just mailed it in and they didn't and they really you know hung in there and and, and that team ended up with 10 wins and and, and one of the you know, the more positive stories. I thought, you know, just the idea of guys overcoming uh, adversity. Uh, you know, Matt was a, you know, true freshman. They had no idea kind of what was going on when he walked into that Ohio Stadium. And uh, and then, you know, with Jake, his whole life is just, uh, you know, overcoming adversity. I mean, the more you think about Jake Olson, who got his degree, played football, and founded a company, uh, you know, while traveling all over the country and, and, and realizing that you needed, you know, maybe a company like this that makes life easier for, uh, you know, for sports people, especially, you know, who want to engage the public and, uh, did that before he even graduated. And, you know, he's, as, as Matt Barkley said, when he wanted to play golf with Jake, you know, and thought he could beat him, he's, he's blind and, uh, pretty amazing. Uh, you know, Jake just, just, shows up and and he's a testament to um how you deal with adversity so uh, i thought it was uh was it was fun but it was also really uh i think engaging in in terms of you know uh kind of a positive lesson that you can take out of uh, you know out of some tough things that happen and so i thought it really worked well yeah i thought i mean I, it was really fun to be a part of it and the way those three guys you know the connections because when Baxter was there, uh, you know, back in 2010 or whatever it was, and Matt Barkley was there, Jake Olson was like the 12-year-old kind of coming around and, uh, you know, checking out the team. And, and Chris O'Dowd showed up, and uh, we've seen him at the last couple events. And, you know, he was the center, and he was Jake's favorite player. Uh, and, you know, and I, I was talking to Jake before the event, like the day before, and we were kind of talking about some stories and stuff. And... I, I was asking him about, you know, what his relationship was like with John Baxter when he was like a little kid. And he really didn't remember much. Um, but he said Baxter, every time he would talk to Baxter, he was sort of like alluding to some like connections they had, but wasn't he wasn't really being forthcoming about it. It was kind of interesting. So I wanted to get Baxter to kind of talk about that 
a little bit. But it, it was really interesting for me to hear John Baxter say, like, he's the coach and you're going to have this kid come in who's blind and he's going to long snap for you. Like, no one's ever done this before. It's like, here, this is your responsibility. And he's like, okay, so I better talk to Jake and see what's going. You know, I was like, you didn't think about it from like the coach's point of view. Because it's like, yeah, like, what are you going to do? Like, this is, is this a novelty? Is this like a real thing? How is this going to work? And uh, Baxter was just kind of amazed to watch Jake even just getting around campus. He said one time he was watching him walk. He'd asked him like how many steps like from the weight room stairs to somewhere he's like 11. He knew it like, you know, he knows distances. And one time he was watching Jake walk, uh, you know, in front of the John McKay Center. And he was basically walking right towards the statue of John McKay. And, and Baxter was like, I want to stop him, but I don't. I want to just see what happens. <laughs> and as soon as he got close to it, he walked around it. You know, it was, it was, it was kind of funny. Like some of the stories between Baxter and Jake, and, you know, and even with, you know, Baxter was there for Barkley. Barkley loved that Baxter let him hold on uh, PATs and kicks and stuff. So he got like four extra touchdowns thrown on fake punts and their fake kicks and stuff. So uh, I, I thought the, the interaction between the three of them was pretty interesting. Well, I mean, just the idea that uh, figuring it out, how do you make this work? And and that's the over, you know, view that you have to have about the whole USC football program. And, you know, you don't always get it right. Uh, but I think if you look back at, you know, recent years, USC has gotten nothing more right than, uh, than Jake Olson. And, you know, a big part of that is Jake Olson and the people around him and his teammates. But, you know, you got to give it, credit all the way back, you know, starting obviously with Pete when Jake was little, but then, uh, you know, even Steve Sarkeesian, uh, you know, was the one that kind of invited, you know, Jake back. And, uh, so it's just, uh, you know, it's just something where you you feel like, okay, USC can get this stuff done when they, when they, you know, get their minds right and, and figure it out and work hard at it. And all you can do is if you're a USC fan is hope that that's a lesson that carries over uh, to say this year, you know, after last year. I mean, uh, here are all these people, big USC fans, who can still feel good about USC football, not you know, after a five and seven season, just because you've got guys like Jake Olson that come out of that season and um, you know come out of that team, and it's still you know enough to to really make you feel like okay, this is this is some good stuff. And it really was. It was definitely, uh, definitely good stuff. So I'm glad you could uh, you check it out, Dan. Uh, before we jump into some of the other topics, we want to get you guys get your thoughts on the the PRPs, the player run practices. I want to thank uh, our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Uh, a bunch of people were actually talking about Trader Joe's last night at the event. They would ask me like, "Wait, do you really like Trader Joe's?" I'm like, "Yes, I really like Trader Joe's." <laughs> like, I don't know, it's kind of strange. I'm um, like, "Yeah, we go there all the time." And then someone told me. Uh, MD3 said, like, I would go to the Trader Joe's in Hermosa just to see if I would see you. I'm like, I don't live there. Like, I go there, but I'm not, you know. Um, But if you want to go, you can go to TraderJoe's.com if you want to check out some new things. I like to check it out. The Fearless Flyer. Uh, The thing I just saw today on the Fearless Flyer is peanut butter blondies. So these look like uh, peanut butter blondies with strawberry filling topped with a crispy peanut butter confection. So these look like little mini peanut butter and jelly sandwiches which is right oh. up my alley so uh yeah they have a little cartoon picture of a peanut and a strawberry on the front i kind of i like i'm a more of a grape jelly guy than the strawberry are you what, what, i'm a strawberry versus grape really mm-hmm. i don't even like 
Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, always like great. I am. I think I am too, actually. But oh. uh, I think artificial. With, uh, yeah, if you get peanut butter right, you're you've got a good start. I think. Yeah, but yeah. artificial grape yeah. is just it's it's very hit or miss. It's purple, like it's you know purple's but, a fruit, right? Like, sure. <laughs> I think that's a Homer Simpson line. <laughs> purple's a fruit, uh, like grape. Like I guess it's red grape. I mean, green grapes. I don't know. The, you know, the grape True. is just kind of this arbitrary term. There's grapefruit. Like, what is that? That seems pretty. <laughs> what is that? Yeah, that's pretty lazy. Like, what? There's already grapes. I don't get that. Um, but very good. Check them out. I'm going to go. I'm probably going to go after the show today and uh, pick up some peanut butter blondies. My, I don't know. Hopefully, my wife Jana doesn't mind. But I think I got to try them. I'm like, hey, it's for the show, honey. I, I saw course. these. I saw them on the flyer. I got to try them because those look really good. It's hard work for Ryan's recommendations. <laughs> it's research. Yes. Yes. Important research. I can write that off maybe too because it's research. <laughs> yeah, write it off. Sure, sure. It's only five bucks, so it's good. So I'll check it out. Um, oh, thanks again to uh, Trader Joe's. Um, Dan, the reason you were able, I guess you and Shotgun were over there, you checked out the latest uh, player-run practice. I know, Keely, you were at some recent ones too. I don't know if you guys want to share your thoughts of what's going down uh, down there on the USC campus with the players. I'll have Dan go first because he's seen, I think, all of them. So you go, Dan. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was going to wait for you and then and, and jump in on. <clears throat> well, I think the the highlight yesterday was we got to see uh, uh, Ben Griffiths uh, join the uh, Griffiths joined the uh, joined the fun at the very end and uh, and at first because you can't see you know the whole field the gate's not open and you just see these cannon shots. I mean, just honestly, if you're across the street, it's just like. I really at first thought, I wonder if they just somehow figured out how to soup up the, the jug machine because these things were going in places. And I still remember uh, Tom Malone, the year he averaged like 49 and a half yards a punt when USC, that was the year USC went to Auburn in the opener, and he literally shut the Auburn cheering section down in pregame by hitting punts like that. And they were way above the top of the Auburn Stadium on the on the student section side. They had eighty five thousand people in there an hour and a half before the game, and he they they're such good fans. They realized, whoa, we haven't ever seen anybody kick the ball like that. What? Who are these people? You know, uh, uh, these Southern California people. What's is this? You know, what's going on here? Well, you saw that you know last night, and I'm thinking, is that? You know, and then you listen and you listen and you say, nah, it's not making the same sound as a judge machine. And then they opened the gate and you could see it was Ben Griffiths in there just, you know, hitting these towering punts that he's become. Uh, and I know, uh, you know, Chris Torita chartered him some in, uh, in spring. And I think what we're noticing is he's really become uh, very consistent. I mean, really, really uh, you know, consistent now. I mean, he, he can kick it a lot of different ways, but I think the way he wants to kick it is the way he's kicking it. And he's got a number of different punts. And, uh, I mean, you know, as Baxter said last night, I hope he doesn't get the punt at all, but, uh, he's going to, and it's going to be fun. I mean, I just think, you know, why not turn that part of the game into, and, you know, in the fun, I mean, I, I noticed uh, that because they did incorporate him into spring ball, we would see that uh, when they did the pooch punts, and it used to be you'd hope one guy could get there before the ball, you know, bounded it into the end zone. With, uh, with Ben Griffiths, uh, 
you have five or six guys waiting for it when the ball comes down. And I know somebody the other day uh, timed, got his hang time on, on punts the other day that were on video at like five and a half seconds, which is just ridiculously off the chart. I mean, 4.1 or whatever is kind of like the NFL norm. So, I mean, it's just pretty amazing. So, so that was a nice little uh, uh, extra touch uh, yesterday. But basically what you see is, you know, what they did in the spring, and they keep coming out. There's a consistency in how they approach things. They didn't do much 7-on-7 seven seven, um, the other day, but went right into 11-on-11. 11 11. But uh, it looked like they added some th- – they're starting maybe – uh, they didn't do any like any special stuff. They just did all the basic stuff um, through spring, and I think they may be adding, you know, a little wrinkle here or there. Uh, some of them they call the, you know the shot plays where you take a shot down the field, you try to set something up. Stuff that you know Norm Chow used to do when he would set people up in the first half and then you know, take a shot in the second half. And I think with this offense, you're definitely going to be able to, you know, just get people used to covering all the basic stuff that you do where you're just trying to out-execute them, out, you know, out, you know, be faster than they are and get to places, you know, before they can get there. And then I think you get them so used to covering what they're, you know, the crossing routes and all that kind of thing. And then you take that one shot, you know, and you, you take the deep shot, you throw it, uh, you know, down the field. So I think they're starting maybe to do a little bit of that, but uh, we don't, you know, get to see it quite enough, but, uh, you know, we get to see it. It's very businesslike and they look like they know what they're doing. So can't go wrong there. What did Baxter say about uh, when you were talking about Ben Griffith? He said like he punishes the ball or something. Like he punishes, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, he just he's different. I mean, and I didn't realize that he doesn't look six seven and a half. I mean, we had heard originally that he was six seven or whatever. I didn't think he ever looked like that. Now that just might be just such a normal, natural looking athlete. But uh, but Baxter said last night he's six seven and a half, and he's gone from like two twenty seven to 245 since he's been, you know, here at USC and, you know, 28 years old, but the weight, the the weight you probably wanted to carry for Aussie rules football is not the same weight as you're going to want to carry for, uh, you know, American, you know, college football. And, uh, but he doesn't look, he doesn't look that big and that might be just because he's so athletic and he just, he, you know, he's going to be the holder, be the biggest holder, maybe in the history of, you know, college football. <laughs> and, and and because of Aussie rules football, you know, everybody handled the ball and everybody high-pointed it and everybody, you know, had to catch it and emerge from the scrums and all that kind of thing. Uh, he's really got good hands, uh, which is you know, a little bit bit different. But at, at, at that size, the one good thing especially will be if somebody somehow, you know, breaks one, you're going to have a punter that's going to be able to pretty much level level somebody uh, some return guy in the open field, I would think, which would be, you know, you don't want to ever see somebody break away, but you might like to see that happen once just to see what would happen if Ben uh, got a shot at somebody. I think you got to play him as like, you remember when uh, David Beeler would play like fullback and linebacker and stuff? Like, I think he's got to be out there at something, like some position. Like, he's just too big. And like, yeah, I want to see that. 
Well, he could certainly look like he could be an H-back if he wanted. I mean, the way they're running the tight ends and, and putting them in motion and, and using them as H-backs and trying to get them, you know, to open open ground, uh, uh, he could certainly do that. I mean, he's just, uh, you know, he's just a big athletic tight end. I mean, a really athletic tight end with, with good hands. And, I mean, again, we just haven't seen anybody that size who looks as athletic, you know, as, as he is. So he's uh, he could be a difference maker. I mean, you, you know, how often have we ever said that, you know, with a punter? I mean, Tom Malone could have been. He just didn't have to because they didn't have to punt the ball enough for him to even be, uh, you know, contend for the uh, you know NCAA championship because he didn't punt it enough. But, uh, but it'll be interesting. It's, uh, so... I mean, and and I know you know people say, hey, he's not ever played, and you know, it's hard not to talk about him though. And you know, I know there are people thinking, you know, he's a legend, and he hasn't played a game yet. And uh, yeah, I mean that that's just the way things work nowadays. You know, people talk about stuff, and and uh, we talk about it, and uh, it's interesting as heck. And so there it is. Yeah. How about you, Keely? Anything that stand out from what you've Seen down there at the PRPs. I think we've alluded to it already, but I just still am impressed by, you know, it just seems like a whole rebranding of USC's strength and conditioning program. You know, they seem much more um, intense about it. And in a way that where they walk the walk instead of just talk the talk, you know, I think sometimes before there's a little bit of machismo where they'd say tough things, but then when it came to game day or whatnot, we wouldn't really see that. So I think it, it, there is a, a more of a, a toughness and intensity to their workouts. You can see it in the guys' faces when they come off the field. So I think that is a good change of pace for USC. You're seeing guys' bodies change, whether it's Jay Tufele who's slimming down or it's a Kanai Maga who's getting bigger and, and, and looks stronger. So I think that evolution over this uh, uh, time period, this offseason, is, is a good thing for USC. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's we got to see the proof. You know, when we see games. Yeah, that's but, the big caveat is does this transfer to game days and whatnot? We don't know. That's still TBD. But as far as what you'd want from USC's offseason, it seems like uh, it's going good so far. Yeah. I mean, it's like if you had like bet, you're like, do you think it's better than last offseason? Like, yeah, it seems like a pretty safe bet. But I don't know. I mean, eating steaks and lifting lots of weights. We're, uh, yeah, it's, it seems a lot. Just there's more positive things going on around the program we talked about this a number of times and that's that's a good thing um but you know i think there's some fans out there that are just sort of like yeah show me what happens on saturday you know i want to see what happens against fresno state and And after a five and seven season i think that's understandable that's fair yeah uh but you know just i I, I think for example we see a lot of what they do on offense we don't see how the defense is going to play out and and it has to be better i mean that that ucla game is so awful, uh, the thought of that, you know, that that's, you gave them, you know, a three-win season instead of a two-win season is just, and they had one play, and you couldn't stop it. I mean, that's just, that can't happen again. And, you know, I know that defense has put in a lot of tough spots because of the three-and-out offenses and, and, and all of that, but uh, the defense has enough athletes to be better. Now, you know, the secondary a lot of talent, not a lot of experience, not sure about how they're going to, you know, physically, uh, are they all going to be 100% and all of that. But uh, you've got to coach them up. I mean, they've got far more talent 
in the secondary uh, than anybody else in the Pac-12. Just, it's not even close. Um, they got to be ready to perform, and you know, no more excuses. You know, everybody's got to. You know, you can't. You know, make up your own mind about. Oh, I'm going to do this, or the hell with what you know I'm supposed to do. I'm going to make this play. No, got to do it right. You got to get coached up to do it right, and you got to get enough of those guys coached up to do it right. They're there, but that's got to happen. And and you know, there's three new coaches on defense, and uh, it looks like you know. That's going to happen, but that we absolutely aren't going to probably see until until the Fresno State game. So, uh, you know, that's got to that's where it really is hard to measure what's going on in the summer. It's, yeah, you know, they're not tackling anybody. Uh, you know, you're playing against yourself and all that. But uh, but they got to come out and really you know shut down Fresno with you know a new quarterback. They got to shut down uh, a Stanford team has a good quarterback doesn't have a lot of other guys, you know, back. Uh, and they get, you know, got to come out and just, you know, do what USC did in 2003 when they went to Auburn. And Auburn fans were, you know, before the game, were honoring their late play-by-play guy by, you know, half the stadium would go touchdown and half would go Auburn, which is his signature call. And USC kids kind of said, hell with that, we're not going to let them score. They won't be able to say touchdown Auburn. Because they're not going to get a touchdown, <laughs> and that's what USC has to to be that team or that team that won at Ohio State. They, you know, they allowed that Ohio State team to to score 15 points. That Ohio State team that ended up winning the Rose Bowl, but uh, by the end of the year, but they went in there and and shut them down, and that's what we haven't seen with USC is a team that can go shut you down on defense and. You know, you can do all the, you know, the work and the, you know, and read and recognize and all that, uh, you know, in the in the summer that you want, but you got to come out and physically, uh, you know, take the game away from people, and uh, that's what we have to see, and, and we're not going to see that in the summer. Yeah, that's funny. One of the questions that I got asked for this week on the twenty four seven sports, like the videos that we do, um, was about. Like which assistant coach has the the hardest job? And I thought it would be Clancy Pendergast because everyone's talking about Graham Harrell. But that that offense was so terrible last year. Like you just come in and be okay, and you're going to be a lot better. I think there's going to be a lot more pressure on the defensive side of the ball. It's supposed to be simpler. Um, you know, they had, took a step back last year. If the offense shines like you think it's going to shine, uh, it's not going to be. You know, you can blame a lot of what happened last year on the offense and you overlook some of the defensive uh, deficiencies that USC had. I think it's going to be harder to do this year, Dan. Like, so I, I feel like there is pressure on Clancy Pendergast to make sure that the defense uh, does play at a higher level because the offense most likely will be. Well, and I think, you know, because of the pace of the game and the amount of plays that they're going to run on offense, uh, and that has often been one of the, you know, difficult things for, you know, teams that, that do play the, you know, speed it up game is you don't have enough bodies on defense and you kind of run out of gas because the other team constantly getting the ball back. Um, so, uh, yeah, they've got to be ready to do that. Uh, they have to be ready to, you know, to, to pretty much shut people down. I mean, you just have to, you know, just not, you know, good enough to, you know, shut them down for two downs and then give up, you know, yes, he was a terrible team, uh, you know, third and long. USC was almost the worst team in the country on takeaways. I mean, what, four pass interceptions the whole year. I mean, that's just, 
it's mind-boggling, you know, awful. Um, so they, they've got to, you know, start doing things like that. You've got to, and that was, if you want to compare them to those, you know, great teams that got it started, you know, in the 21st century, you, you had teams that took the ball away or that gave the offense short fields. And that has to happen, and that's on the defense. You know, got to take it away, or you, you know, you got to force teams into bad situations, and then, uh, you know, then then you take the ball away. And uh, we haven't seen that recently. That's got to that's got to start happening. Um, next topic. Also, Kelly, you got something? I just had a quick thought slash question. Do you think it's maybe easier? I don't know if easy is the right word, but for Clancy Pendergast to plan a defense, knowing what he has, because you know, I think. With Porter Gusson going in and out and his health being the question mark, they, you can't really plan for not having Porter Gustin in a in a defense that kind of features him. You know, as we've seen now, the predator position is kind of TBD. They're kind of changing that front. Whether or not that's just a pure uh, consequence of the UCLA game, we don't know for sure. But do you think it's easier knowing kind of more who you have rather than Porter Gustin being in and out? Well, yeah, I thought last year was hard for them. They just... I mean, they weren't all on the same page. I, I, I think, you know, the coaches that aren't here, there's a reason, you know, they're not here. And the whole thing didn't go together well. I mean, I think it's kind of a miracle that Clancy's still here when you, when you think about it. Uh, but that was a defense that just, you know, everybody wasn't doing, you know, what worked for everybody. Uh, you know, they just, I mean, they're trying to be so much more basic and so much simpler and, and interchangeable. So it doesn't matter if that one guy isn't, you know, here. I mean, I think they were hoping that, you know, Porter could, uh, you know, do what uh, Uchetta Nwusu did the year before. And a lot of that was just individual effort. And, and I just don't think that's the way you, you want to coach up a defense and hope one guy, you know, makes a special play or makes enough special plays. And, uh, and we, we just didn't see enough team defense where everybody, you know, is, is doing the right thing and everybody is in the right place and you can trust everybody. And if you've got a, you know, a sub going in, you can trust him. Uh, I think the athletes are there. When you look at, you know, the athletes uh, on this defense, there's, a, there's just a lot of talent there, uh, but we haven't really – haven't really seen it, and you wouldn't know it by, you know, looking at last year, uh, you know, the way they played. So, I mean, I think they think they do have that kind of talent too. But, uh, you know, this is a, a year they got to step up. I do think they're in better shape. I think they look quicker. Uh, the ones you needed to have bigger be are bigger. The ones you needed to be smaller are smaller. But, uh, but you go down the, you know, you look at every position, there, there are athletes there. Um, now, whether they execute, uh, I think there's no promises, uh, but they look like they certainly could. And, um, that's, you know, that's Clancy's job now is to get them ready to play and, and no more. We need three years to figure out how to communicate or we need, no, they need to be able to play, uh, you know, from that well, opening gun uh, against uh, against Fresno. I think it's you know two home games against teams that that you know lost a, a decent amount, but with you know good names and, and teams you got to show up and really play against. I think it's a perfect way for this defense, you know, to get into the season. And and then when you go on the road, it's that defense that travels with you. That defense 
is the thing that you can be there, you know, every game. And you, you've got to make it, you know, be, uh, be there every game. And so with all our focus on the offense, because that's, you know, that's where the, you know, the big names are, you know, on USC and, and, and where they had so much trouble last year and where the new, you know, the offense comes in and, you know, Graham Harrell and all of that. I mean, that's a lot of where our attention is. But I think it's the defense, like Ryan said, the defense is the, is the thing that matters the most, actually. Uh, I, I'm just writing the offense is kind of a given. I, I, I'd be, you know, shocked. As, as, you know, as Ryan said, 10 points a game uh, more than last year. I think that's a minimum. I mean, I just think, you know, that this, I mean, with this level of athlete, uh, I just think they're going to make life pretty tough on opposing defense. What they've got to do is make life tough on the opposing offenses. Yeah. And we haven't seen that. All right. Um, the the topic I wanted to bring up. This was the NCAA in their infinite wisdom came out today um, with the statement. I'll read you the beginning part of it. The Division One Council received updates about several ongoing topics and made several decisions at a meeting this week in Indianapolis that illustrated the depth of their responsibilities for running Division One on a day to day basis. Among their actions were clarifications of the transfer waiver guidelines to help members understand what specific information to submit. With waiver requests, no transfer rules changed. And this is a, it's kind of a lot of legalese in this statement. And there's a lot of college football writers that wrote about it. I like, I like what Stuart Mandel, um, you know, said about it. And, uh, he said, so basically there was two things that he thought stood out. I'll read them to you what he said. He said, for one, in cases where a coach essentially runs off an underperforming player, and he said, and let's not kid ourselves, this happens all the time. The athlete will need to get a, quote, statement from the previous school's athletic director indicating whether the student could return to the team. And he says, seriously, what AD is going to admit in writing that his coach told the player to go take a hike? And then he said, in cases where the athlete transfers, quote, because of a recent illness or injury of an immediate family member, um, the athlete must provide uh, medical documentation from the treating physician showing how the family member is uh, debilitated and the explanation of the student athlete's role in providing care. And he said, imagine being one of the administrators who sat in a boardroom in Indianapolis and said, you know what? If a kid can't get a hold of grandma's entire medical file, then there's no way he should be allowed to play right away. That's insanity, right? The kid is not applying for the right to perform surgery. He just wants to play football closer to home. Why is the NCAA membership so hell bent on making this so hard? And Stewart has just said he's, He's kind of tired of it all. He's like, let everyone just transfer once without penalty, and then if you transfer again, then you have to sit out. Which I'm, I don't, you know, I never really thought about much, but it seems kind of good. But this is so. This led to a tweet, Dan, that we got from uh, Mike Fisher. Uh, are the new transfer rules going to be implemented in time to apply for Steele and Brew? So, uh, you know, Chris Steele and Brew McCoy and Shotgun actually responded. Uh, to, they fall under the rules that you any player would fall under the rules that are active during your transfer. And since they both are already transferred at USC, it shouldn't impact them. Um, but there, you know, so I, we don't know what their waiver status is. But there, there's other people, other college football writers talking about if you want to transfer, you basically need to get a lawyer. Uh, Chris Vanini tweeted out and uh, from something he, you know, a quote he got from Sonny Dykes if you get a lawyer, you get a waiver. 
That's kind of the way it is. If you send a request on some law firm's letterhead, they grant it. It's kind of been that way since they've done this stuff in the past. So uh, it's really weird the way this is all going down. And there were a lot of transfers, a lot of arbitrary grants and uh, denials. And I don't know, Dan, I wanted to, you know, you, Keely, you as well, but Dan, get your thoughts on all this. Sorry, that was a lot, but. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if uh, they were trying to hide it in the way they did it. You know, call it the Brew McCoy rule, but uh, you don't want to, uh, uh, you know, admit exactly what you're doing. Uh, I do think, uh, in light of the transfer waivers they've granted, uh, where they allowed immediate playing time, uh, if uh, Chris Steele is not allowed uh, immediate playing time, uh, I do think that ought to go uh, on a lawyer, you know, letter head uh, uh, to the NCAA because it's it's totally unjustified. I mean. If you let one kid, you know, transfer from Georgia because somebody at a baseball game yelled a, a word at him that, uh, you know, shook him up, uh, and Chris Steele wouldn't be legitimately able to transfer after what happened to him at Florida. Uh, that's just, that's, you know, I mean, yeah, we know they don't like USC. We know the head of the, you know, NCA's uh, infractions, uh, you know, committee. Uh, Committee on Infractions is the commissioner of the SEC. Yeah, we get all that, uh, but uh, that one would be uh, egregious. Now, whether they're you know trying to offer guidance uh, uh, about uh, somebody who transfers twice and kind of you know telegraphing the past that they don't want you know Brew McCoy uh, you know eligible, I could see that. Uh, but uh, but what it might also say is. Because they've had to clarify all these rules going forward, it tells you they weren't clarified when both Chris Steele and Brew McCoy transferred. So what applies exactly to them? I mean, it would seem to be the kind of thing, if the NCAA liked you and you were a Brew McCoy transferring to a school that the NCAA likes, they would be able to say, yeah, we were not exactly uh, wanting to see that happen. That's why we clarified it. But since it happened before we clarified it, it's okay. Now, that obviously never going to happen for USC, you would guess. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm embarrassed for the NCAA, really, that they got into the whole transfer thing without knowing what they were doing, what the unintended consequences were going to be, and now they have to pass, you know, more uh, legislation and more words and more all this embarrassing, you know, stuff that they're trying to catch up because they've been embarrassed for the whole time because they didn't know what they were doing. And the NCAA always thinks, you know, if we just pass another rule or if we pay another clarification or if we get the lawyers involved, you know, you know, maybe we won't get sued, you know, and, and maybe they won't say negative things about us, but, uh, they're never going to do that because they just don't know what they're doing and they're just trying to cover their butts. And uh, it's a shame because the athletes are the ones that, that suffer. Yeah. Cause I was going to say, it's a shame that in order to be taken seriously, you have to get a lawyer. It seems yeah. like, you know, and, and some of these kids are, if you're getting a D one scholarship, you're a first generation college student. You're not coming from, you know, white collar families who just have a lawyer on hand, you know, so if it puts other players at a disadvantage, you know, if, if 
the transfer portal is supposed to give more power to the players. Is it really doing that? Or is it still subjective of, okay, you can go, mm, you can't, you know? So yeah. it's it seems like it's another sticky situation for student-athletes. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, if, if that's the case, like, oh, you got a lawyer, it works, That that's kind of dumb. Then it's just going to be these high-profile yeah, and then the guys that like the grandma's really sick, and you're trying to, you know, and the the, the Stuart Mandel's article in the Athletic had, you know, examples of that of guys that were like, oh, these guys probably shouldn't have got a waiver, and they did. These guys really should have got a waiver, and they didn't. And you know, they weren't the high profile guys that were, you know, the Justin Fields or the Tate Martells. Uh, those guys got them, and uh, some of the other guys that looked like they were deserving uh, or more deserving did not. But that's a, that's consistent with everything the NCAA has ever done in its history. I mean, <laughs> you know, they take care of the people that they think they have to take care of, and they'll justify it however they want, and they don't give a darn. It's what Jared Tarkanian used to always say. He said, uh, the NCAA is so mad at Kentucky, they're going to penalize Cleveland State for another couple of years. <laughs> you know, I mean, and... He was right. I mean, he just laughed. It was so he was so on the money. I mean, it just that's who the NCAA is. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's you know, kind of st- stay tuned to those developments there with the NCAA. But they're getting crushed by uh, the media. Just the the way it's so arbitrary and they make they make it so complicated. Um, it goes from you know it was clear as mud to clear as different mud you know just it's just the same it's just thicker mud. it's still thicker yeah it's just it's still and, not and any the clearer. more they the more they do that the more power they give themselves uh, because they're the only ones that can clear it up they're the only ones that can rule on it they're the only and, and they think that's a good thing until they actually have to do it and then the whole world comes down on them and laughs at them and makes fun of them and says you guys have no idea what you're doing I mean, they're on such a losing streak. I mean, how many years has, has this been a losing streak? I mean, do they get anything right at this point? I mean, does anybody trust them? I mean, I, I mean, this whole thing with, uh, you know, are they going to really go after California, you know, and try to, yeah. come on, uh, the most populous state? I mean, just try to even imagine the lawsuits that would come out of that if they tried to ban California from, uh, you know, NCAA competition. I mean, it's just, you know, if, if the law, you know, in California changes uh, yeah. to allow athletes to use their likeness, uh, I could just, you know, there aren't enough lawyers, uh, you know, in the world <laughs> almost to handle those those cases. And it's like, you know, maybe they wrote the letter to the California legislators hoping, you know, they weren't going to have to get involved. But I'm thinking, who pays attention to the NCAA anymore? I mean... Other than to ridicule them and mock them. Yeah. When you're uh, talking about, like, you're actually rooting for California politicians, that doesn't happen. I know. Like, so whatever side of the aisle you're We on. actually got a question about this. So can I oh, jump yeah. you into it? Jump into so that? Marcel from the IE uh, wants to know more about the NCAA ban on California. He wants to know what would happen to the California schools if this passed. Now, Dan already alluded to it, but the California State Senate passed a bill allowing college players to profit from their name, image, and likeness uh, in the last month, and it would go into effect in 2023. Uh, the bill has yet to advance through the committee uh, by July 11th, but Mark Emmert of the NCAA uh, asked the committee to postpone the consideration until the NCAA uh reviewed that whole image likeness 
thing, but his letter essentially threatened that the NCAA would prohibit the California schools from competing if the bill went through. So basically, Marcel wants to know, would this really happen? (laughs) No, that can never happen. That would be... I mean, they, you know, they might as well just set fire to the NCAA headquarters in Indianapolis if they tried to ban California. I mean, you know, I mean, all of us who live here, it's kind of crazy, uh, you know, in some you know, the legislature in Sacramento, and very seldom would you see any of us, uh, you know, saying, hey, way to go, California yeah. legislators. I go, mean, California politicians, because you're going against the NCAA. It's like, like... Satan versus Hitler or something. You got to pick a side. You know? Well, well that's a little that extreme, right? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. It's that old Which one's rule: worse? the enemy know. of my enemy is my friend. And if uh, you know, there, there you go. Whoever thought you'd get on the side, you know, with the, the California legislature, the NCA can't uh, can't go against California because you know what could happen between now and then is other states saying, "Hey, that's not a bad idea. Why don't we do that?" And why don't we, I mean, I don't know that in this case, California is going to be all alone. I mean, do you think the SEC is going to say, wait a minute, they're going to be, let the athletes benefit from their image in California? Hell, what about Alabama? What about, you know, Mississippi? What about LA, you know, Louisiana? You think they're just going to sit there and say, we're not going to do that? Are you kidding me? Um, so where does that leave the NCAA? I mean, really, they, I think they know where this is headed. And it's not a good place for the NCA. The NCA, even Dick Vitale the other day said, "Why don't the NCA just look at what California is do- doing and do that for everybody?" You know, I mean, it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to be able to keep athletes from uh, you know benefiting from their own image. I mean, really, these you know kids are you know have followers while they're in high school. I mean, if uh, Lori Laughlin's daughter can have how many thousands of followers on you know instagram and and was it facebook and was being paid to be an influencer you know for cosmetics and travel and you know clothing and all that i mean what's the difference really and you know legally i mean the nca can say oh we're trying to keep a you know even competition and all that but you know there's like laws about you know restraint of trade and you know freedom for you know, people to, you know, sell their, you know, services in some ways and, and benefit from it. And I'm not sure, you know, just the fact that you're a college athlete means you don't have the right to do that. Uh, it's going to be probably a hard case to, uh, to win in court if you're the NCAA. And the first thing I tweeted when I saw that was, okay, this makes a whole lot of sense. So you're talking about banning, not just there's the the four packs 12 schools Cal Stanford USC UCLA but also like the Cal State Fullertons of the world all you know, like they win titles too and stuff like bat you know in uh, like baseball and things but the three schools with the most NCAA championships are in California so Stanford UCLA and USC you're going to ban the most successful athletic programs of all time from <laughs> competing for championships again seems really really smart like Makes that's just, sense you yeah know. come on like that you know it's not like you're banning uh rutgers and like the state of new jersey you're banning california you know no like, we're, we're making enemies in new jersey now Ryan. that's just for zach our buddy zach Hellfriend. remember when he was <laughs> at the la times he thought that new jersey was a top 10 state so. he said it was number one he, yeah which it's not and <laughs> 
But you can't ban Stanford, UCLA, and USC from competing in national championships when they have the majority of them. Yes, it's crazy. Yeah. Insanity. I mean, the NCAA has done some really stupid things. I don't even think they're stupid enough to do this. I mean, write the letter, you know, maybe, but, you know, cooler heads. There aren't that many of them maybe at the NCAA, but cooler heads will prevail. Because the NCAA won't, they won't be the NCAA if they go through with this. I mean, if there ever was a, you know, a self-defeating strategy, that would be it. Let's go after California. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's a good idea. So so we have one final question, and it's from Nick from Cyprus, a.k.a. Big Nick 21 USC from the P. He says, how will it work out in 2028 when USC has to play in the new Rams stadium as far as logistics, money, and tradition? Fight on. 2028, Nick. You're worried about that? (laughs) I mean, I don't. Are, is that a definite that they're they're going to be uh, out of the Coliseum for the whole year? I mean, I, I I don't know that that. I mean, I know they're. I mean, I don't even know that they've decided. You know where all the event. I mean, I guess track and field has to go into the Coliseum. I don't think it could go into the the Rams Stadium and one of the opening or closing ceremonies and all of that. But uh, and I know they probably have to raise the field. Uh, in order to put a track in and and all of that, uh, does that completely negate you know the opportunity to get the field back in shape for, for that football season? I don't know that that's ever been made official. I mean, I know they're going to cover the baseball. I mean, the baseball field will be gone uh, because that's getting uh, that's going to become the uh, uh, the swim stadium apparently, and I think the. Uh, uh, you know, renovations there are going to be so extensive that you may not, uh, it will have started during baseball season. So they, I think they definitely have to find a place to play for baseball. I'm not sure that we know that for absolute certain that football has to move that season. I, I just, I don't know that, but uh, uh, you would think the Rams kind of owe USC, you would think, after having three seasons in the Coliseum uh, with the way USC is, has really shared, I thought, the Coliseum extremely well. And it really worked hard on, on, on you know, on, on keeping the turf in as good a shape as possible or changing it out when they had to, you know, for the playoffs and all that. I thought, I think USC is, as we know, only too well, right, Keely, after the games, uh, how well they keep up that uh, – that turf at the Coliseum. It's true. Dan's a little bitter, but they do a great job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, I, I, the kamikaze uh, uh, drivers of those uh, uh, lawnmowers and, and what have you after the game. They get after it, man. We've gotten almost run over multiple times, but, you know, you can see the progression of instant analysis. We were on the field, and then the last two games, we, we decided to seek higher ground. <laughs> Safer. Yeah, uh, yeah I, we had heard that too, but don't know for sure. But man, Nick, USC's getting a new president in a week, and you're worried about like 2028. So that's good. You know, he's he's got he, his eye on the prize. You know, thinking ahead. Yeah, you know, he's <laughs> always thinking ahead. If you people, you know, Stephen asking like, what's going to happen? You know, so many questions like, what if they do this, or could he get fired for that? And stuff like, man, it's like there's there's steps to get there. Not that we don't speculate a lot, but because there's so much weird stuff going on right now in the athletic department, and we don't know. What's going to happen, you know, when the, the first day Carol Full takes over, she could just completely change everything. You know, we just have no idea. So, uh, and that's know. soon. 
We're that's, we're I mean, coming down the, the less than a week. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, by 2028, the question might be: Is Brewery McCoy going to retire from the NFL this year <laughs> or not? I mean, it's like this, it's like a whole nother you know world by the time you get to you know 2028 and the and the Olympics get here. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen between now and then. Yeah, certainly. All right. Well, I guess we should uh, wrap this up. It was fun. Make sure you. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. We actually had a voicemail. I totally forgot. Uh, like, like I remembered that at the last second. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't Keely pointing at me. No, but, it was not. Uh, hold on. Here's the voicemail question for you. Sorry about that. Hello. This question is for Dan, Keely, and Ryan. I'd like to get all you guys' thoughts on this. And I was just wondering if you guys think Graham Harrell is the real deal, and why or why not? Thanks. Fight on. Jason in Longhorn Country. Jason, uh, uh, yeah, I'll go first. That's the order you asked the question. So, uh, as a Longhorn, one Longhorn guy to another with uh, Graham Harrell, uh, I'm just completely convinced he's the real deal. I mean, I just think he's got a way about him. He, uh, you know, he's as pleasant as you can be and as enthusiastic, and yet, you know, quietly tough-minded and he will get on him in ways in which we'll never know uh he's demanding i think he's he's really figured something out about how to coach and how to coach this system and how this system works best against you know what people are going to try to do to stop it uh i think it's balanced far more than he probably gets credit for in terms of the run pass ratio and I just like the idea of using of, of having this system with athletes like USC is going to have uh, you know to run it, and I don't know that anybody's ever really you know put this system in with this level of athlete uh, you know at the skill positions that USC you know has available this year. So uh, uh, I just thought spring practice could not have gone better. I mean he's. He he doesn't need you know Graham doesn't need to be like I'm the boss or whatever. He just went out and did what they did, and I think for you know for coaches like Drevno and Coach Baxter last night, they've never seen anything quite like this. It, it it's it's taught in a way and practiced in a way that makes so much sense, and yet uh, people haven't done this before, and so uh, so I'm. I'm on board. I, I'm just I'm convinced. I mean, it really helps that, that the personnel that's there at USC right now is so well suited. I mean, I, I would you would have gone to it anyway, no matter who was coaching it. I think if you would have if you'd have known what you were doing, uh, but to have you know Graham Harrell do it, and I think you know he looked at USC from the outside and said, look, USC is one of the handful of places you can really win a national championship. And I think that's a, you know, it was a big part of the attraction for, you know, for him coming here. But, uh, but I'm all, all on board, the, you know, the Graham Harrell boat. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I think just from the first practice when you saw Graham Harrell go up on Dado Field and and put the headset on and coach from there, you were like, okay, this is different. This guy has a, a way of doing things that he wants to do at USC. And I think just listening to him in the scrums and hearing him talk about his offense and the way he coaches players, it's just it's a breath of fresh air. You can tell that he lives and breathes his scheme and how he coaches. And even when we asked, okay, what – what are you looking for in your quarterbacks? What do each guy, what do they need to do to improve? And he went on like a 15 minute 
um, kind of monologue about each quarterback, the four quarterbacks at the time, and had really detailed notes about each of them and unique notes about about what they needed to do, what they are doing right. And even in the fact that he said that what he's looking for in the starting quarterback is a leader. And I think recognizing that USC hasn't really had a strong leader on offense in the past couple of years is a good pickup by him. And so, you know, just talking to him and, and looking at the way he does things, like Dan said, he has a quiet but strong demeanor about him and the way he leads. And so I think all of that, it just seems like the real deal from what we've seen so far. Yeah. And uh, for me, uh, Jason, um, my gut feeling, he's the real deal. But I think a lot of what's going on here was things were really, really bad last year. And I think you come in with a plan. And even if he was like just pretty good, he was going to look good. You know, yeah. I, I think he's exceptional just from, you know, that would be my guess. But it's sort of like, and since, you know, we're ending the show and I didn't have a food analogy yet. <laughs> uh, if you ever watch the show Top Chef, okay, yeah. one of the things they do, they get down to like, Eight people. It's a reality show. You eliminate people every week. They're all good chefs. And you get down to restaurant wars. So there's like four on four. There's teams of four. And and it's, it's works for all reality shows. When you're trying to you know work in a team or whatever, if you have a plan and there's some, a, a specific leader and everyone's following them and they're not all trying to do their own thing, usually things work out pretty well. Like if you just follow whatever diet you're on, it's probably going to work, but you have to be able to follow it. For what was going on at USC, it was sort of like the restaurant wars, the four people or the three people running the offense. Everyone was kind of doing their own thing. There wasn't this great plan. And even though you had all these great ingredients, which are all the players, uh, you had all the you had everything you could possibly want, all the best food you know, ingredients in the world to make what you want, but no one really had the right direction. So you did a little of this, a little of that. You get the gumbo thing that T. Martin coined, and you're on the bottom, and you're, one of you going, is going home for losing restaurant wars, where on the other side, the guy, the expediter, you have uh, uh, Graham Harrell there, who's expediting the whole thing, making it all run, working the floor, and they have a cohesive plan, and the people be under him are just following Graham's plan, and just by doing that, just by having that it's going to be such an improvement over what we saw from last year. The clear, you, know, you have the clear winner of restaurant war. So that's why I think this offense is going to be a lot better. My gut feeling is, yeah, he's the real deal. But because it was so dysfunctional last year, like almost anything could come in. You just have some sort of plan. It's going to be like, wow, this is amazing because they didn't have one last year. So long answer, yeah, no, I, I think he's a real deal. But I need to get a little food analogy in there too. There's there's strong ingredients. The recipe was lacking. Yes. And I think Graham Harrell has a good recipe. Yeah. No, How's but that for analogy? Both, no, both sides had great ingredients. They both have really good talent. And okay. one side screwed and, it up. You yes. Know? Yes. They, and as it yes, turned got it, got out, it. and after last year, uh, everybody really decided we don't like gumbo anymore. <laughs> and Which sucks because I like so gumbo. Graham came in. Graham came in and said, no gumbo for me. And installed that, as Ryan said the other night, installed the offense in, in a week, three practices, and then reinstalled it the next four weeks. And that's beautiful. I mean, when you saw the, you know, indecision and, and uncertainty of adding and trying to come up with something new or something that would solve a problem and, and just adding to the complexity and to the lack of ability to execute. And here it's all about uh, executing and executing better and faster and recognition and all of the things that you can practice if you will and that they didn't. 
So I think that the way the players have recognized, you know, what they're being offered, I mean, that was instantaneous. I mean, they picked it up from day one. I mean, Graham was surprised. All the coaches were surprised at how quickly they picked it up. Part of the reason they picked it up so quickly is they wanted to pick it up so quickly after a year of kind of being lost in the wilderness, uh, you know, on offense. So, uh, so I think it's a, you know, it's a combination of a lot of things coming together, you know, at the right time, at the right place, uh, you know, for Graham. So, yeah, I think they, you know, they, they got, I mean, give USC all the credit in the world for not giving up after Cliff Kingsbury left for Arizona and pursuing the one guy who I think had the, all the right ingredients to get this going in the right direction, which, you know, was, was Graham Harrell. And, uh, and they did whatever they had to do to make it worth Graham's, you know, while to, to come to USC. And, uh, and, and that, that was, you know, that was so important that USC just didn't give up and said, Oh, we tried with Cliff and, it didn't work, and no, they. I think you know there might be in a better. Clearly, in my mind, they're in a better situation than they would have been, you know, with Cliff Kingsbury. I think this works out actually better, uh, you know, in terms of the staff and and how they're going to do what they're going to do. There are no subplots and no drama. It's just all about football, teaching football, getting better, and uh, and Graham is just you know one of those personalities that it's almost impossible not to, you know, watch what he does and how he does it and not feel good about it. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jason, for that one. Sorry, Keely, almost forgot your question. So, uh, or, or me, sorry. Or the, <laughs> how dare you? I know. Um, all right. Well, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, that's Keely Yor in studio, mad at me for throwing her under the bus <laughs> when it was really my fault. Uh, Dan Weber, uh, we hope you enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast. We'll, we got our live show coming up tonight. I think we got... Uh, family feud's gonna be coming up too. Yeah, we got a this is like a three podcast day, four podcast day because I put up the live show from this morning. We're gonna have this up on Wednesday. Uh, you know, the family feud one will probably go up tomorrow, but it, probably the uh, we'll do a podcast version of the live the uh, Tunnel Vision show too, probably. So podcast galore. Yeah, lots of stuff uh, going up. But thanks, uh, thanks to our my guests here, Keely and Dan, and thanks everyone for listening. We will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.